69 69 69 69 69 69 69 69 oh really mature really mature episode 69 welcome in everybody we know ball podcast my name is ryan it is episode 69 midweek episode excuse me episode 69 Felt like I had to do it. There's just so much going on in the middle of this week as we sit here. October 26th, 2023. How many times have I talked about why this is the best time of the year? I spent the first 10 minutes of last episode on Monday talking about why. Where we are, what time of the year we are in currently is the best time of the year baseball football basketball hockey it's the best the only thing i wish is that it was a little bit warmer for a little bit longer so that we could play golf a little bit more that's it and i mean play golf in terms of the pga i also mean play golf in terms of my own personal golf game which is subpar but I love golfing was going to get out this weekend. Not going to happen anymore because it's going to be 30 degrees where I live sucks. Got the leaves falling off the trees in the front yard. It's been a grind. It has been a grind to get those leaves up off the ground into bags, tied up, secured. Ugh. Back sore, asses sore, just, God, man, brutal, brutal, brutal. But we got a lot to talk about on today's episode. We're not going to go Bananaville, but we're going to go pretty crazy because there's a lot to talk about. We've got drama in the NBA, sort of. The NBA has started now. Drama in college football, drama with officiating in the NFL, and we've got the World Series. World Series is tomorrow, and we'll talk about how these teams got there. Honestly, I don't you know, have a particular rooting interest between the Diamondbacks and the Rangers, but ultimately, it's going to be a great series for baseball fans. It's not going to be great for the outside casuals who want to see home runs and dope superstar New York, L.A. I'm glad it's not like that, because it's better for the baseball fans and we'll get into it so before we talk about baseball before we talk about football wanted to touch on basketball quickly because we've got the nba underway we've got 
regular season games in action starting. We kicked it off the other night with Nuggets, Lakers, right? And the Nuggets beat the Lakers, which is obviously number one. It's a regular season game. It's not a playoff. It's whatever. But you've got the Nuggets fans in Denver chanting at the end of the game as time's starting to wind down. Lakers on the court, defending champion NBA, uh, defending NBA champion Denver Nuggets team on the court. Nuggets are beating them. Nuggets just won everything last year, including sweeping the Lakers. They're chanting, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? And if I have a message for not just the Nuggets fans, but a message for the entire country that doesn't include big market teams. We're talking middle of the country. We're talking South Pacific, Northwest, Midwest, Southeast to a degree. Basically everyone besides LA, San Francisco, New York, Boston. If you're tired of getting beat by those big market teams, or if you're tired of the lack of coverage for your teams, because those teams in New York, Boston, Philly, LA, San Francisco, get all the coverage. And this goes for almost every sport, NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, all of it. If you're tired of those teams getting more coverage than your team, despite maybe your team being better, do it the way the Nuggets are doing it. And when I say the Nuggets, I mean the team, the organization, the players, and the fans. Because the way the Nuggets assembled their roster in the buildup to what was last year's NBA title, best way to possibly do it. Draft, develop, sign complimentary pieces up from the outside, potentially some better star players to mix into the starting rotation. Don't miss on your draft picks. Get to the postseason a couple years in a row, make deeper and deeper and deeper runs until ultimately you're completely prepared to take on any and every opponent in your face, including the Lakers, the heat, etc. And then you beat them all and you win the championship. Then at that point in time, all you can do is talk your smack Hand it out to any and everybody that is in front of you and able to take it. And that includes the Lakers on opening night for the Denver Nuggets and their fans. Because not only do they beat the Lakers again, and yes, it's regular season. It's not as big as the playoffs last year, but they beat the Lakers again. Then they have the grounds to stand up as a fan base and chant to the Los Angeles Lakers, one of the most storied franchises in American sports history. They're chanting, who's your daddy? Fully warranted, completely acceptable. Anybody complaining about that doesn't know anything about sports, obviously. But more so, that shows and gives a perfect blueprint to any team, 
not in a gigantic market to it gives them a perfect blueprint and a perfect path to ultimately being able to chant who's your daddy to their rival to the bigger market teams go out and beat them and then host them on opening night ring ceremony and beat them again Because then at that point, the Lakers have nothing. And the Laker fans that came out, you know, and the and LeBron and all these people is like, oh, Nuggets fans or people in the middle, you know, oh, I hate LeBron. Oh, it's like, well, Dallas Mavericks fans, I'm sorry you hate LeBron, but, you know, don't really have much grounds to talk smack on. Nuggets fans, do whatever you want. You just won the NBA championship last year and you beat the Lakers opening night. And you didn't just beat the Lakers last year. You swept them. Who's your daddy? Nuggets fans and the Nuggets are Lakers. That's how you build long-term sustained success too, by the way. You get a guy in like Michael Malone, you get the roster construction was perfect and the Nuggets are doing it the best possible way. And then when their opportunity shines, to host the Lakers and chant, who's your daddy? They nailed it on the head. Nailed it on the head. I love everything about it. You ask LeBron about it. I would imagine LeBron, hopefully, and, and many other players in his situation, I would imagine and hope their response would be, they have earned that right to chant, who's your daddy? Because guess what? We haven't beat him. We beat him in 2020. Barely. But since then, they've been the better team, including an NBA championship and a sweep of us last year. So I love it. I love it. Other storylines in the NBA, right? You got Victor Wimanyama makes his early debut. Before people... <sighs> How do I put this about Victor? I don't think Victor Wembanyama will be affected by it. But let's put it this way. Victor Wembanyama 6-11 just whatever, 7-foot monster shoots threes. First overall pick, supposed to be transcending the sport, right? I'm not sure Victor Wimanyama will ever be able to satisfy basketball fans. And that's not basketball fans' fault. That's not Victor's fault. Honestly, I think it is potentially the media's fault over anybody else. And the same can be said for a lot of guys who get the hype, get taken first overall, and come into the league with such incredible expectations. Now, I don't doubt that Victor Wimanyama is going to be an amazing basketball player. I mean, just look at him, obviously. But will he ever be able to live up to the hype? I don't think he will. 
because the way he was talked about coming into the league at a seven foot plus frame, three point shooter, rebounder, ball handler, all that's true. We've all seen the video. We've seen it in preseason, and it's obviously early on in the regular season. Didn't have a fantastic debut. And there are like actual people, they're real people, literally human beings on social media, on sports talk radio or sports talk TV shows discussing the possibility that Victor Wembanyama may be a bust. I have seen that word used by multiple people. That is so crazy. <laughs> that is so crazy. He's played like one game. I I hate what the expectations have done, I think, to Victor Wimanyama so far, and I hope that doesn't continue. Because if it does, he'll never be able to live up to all this hype and all these expectations around him. Give the guy a break. He's a baby. He just happens to look like uh, a monster from uh, what's the why am I just blanking LeBron Michael Jordan Space Jam that's right he looks like a monster from Space Jam so people expect him to play like a monster from Space Jam not realistic not gonna happen doesn't matter how big he is doesn't matter how good he was before it's the NBA it's gonna be tough it's also going to be tough for rookies. It's going to be tough for first-year guys. Cool it with the bust talk. Pause. But also, cool it. Especially on Victor. He's going to be a great player. Last thing in the NBA here. Uh, article or headline sort of tweet from Bleacher Report about Joel Embiid. Opposing teams are keeping a close eye on Joel Embiid's status with the 76ers. Embiid has experienced a fair share of upheaval, and teams are wondering how much he's willing to endure. Full transparency, had no idea what upheaval meant. Googled it. Upheaval is a violent or sudden change or disruption to something. So... The example they use here is major upheavals in the financial market, or apparently in the case of Joel Embiid, he's experienced his fair share of upheavals with the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't really care if I'm pronouncing that right, because the fact of the matter is, why has the NBA turned into this? And by this, I mean, oh, how is Joel Embiid's feelings? After all the different players and trades and everything. Who cares how, what his feelings are? Who cares what anybody's feelings are? If I was an executive in the NBA, yeah, you know, I'd potentially be monitoring the situation. But the fact that this is even a discussion point goes to show one of the bigger flaws with the modern day NBA. And that is these guys are operating and letting their feelings towards their current situation affect their level of play. Now, of course that's real in a lot of ways and certain guys will have 
discrepancies with coaches or game plans or front office or whatever the case may be. But it's not like they're asking Embiid to switch from a center to a point guard. They're not asking him to move around the court. They're not asking him to change how he plays basketball. All they've done is change some of the stuff around him in order to help him. They've tried to help him. They're not trying to cause him disruptions or create negative environments. So if I'm the Philadelphia 76ers, I am jumping in front of this, trying to nip this in the bud as soon as possible. Because the last thing you want Embiid to do or to think is like these other guys have in the NBA, like his former teammates, James Harden, Ben Simmons, who think that they are obligated or they are... uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? They are... I'll put it this way. You don't want Embiid to think he has earned the right to force himself out. Even though, of all the players in the NBA, Joel Embiid may be one of the very few you could actually put on the list of, well, if he demands a trade, you should probably trade him. But he's seen it happen so many times already with the team he's currently on and other players that have come in and now out that maybe he feels like he can get away with it as well in Philadelphia. Things don't go well. If we're looking at the 76ers at the All-Star break and there's six or seven or 10 games under 500 for one reason or another, and Bede's going to say, well, front office has done it before with other guys, so I'll try it. Trade me. And then the 76ers are going to be without one of the best basketball players in the entire planet. And that's going to be all on them. And that's the problem with the NBA in today's today's day and age. Guys show up, they force they force trades to happen with themselves. They go to the front office and they say, "Trade me." And then they get traded. Then they go to a place, it doesn't work out, chemistry is not 100%. They don't love how the fan base is treating up and they do the same thing over and over and over again. Until they just hunt and chase for rings and build super teams. I don't think that's good for the league. And I don't think the situation with Embiid should continue. I think the Philadelphia 76ers should jump in front of this as soon as they can. Fair share of upheaval. Fair share of disruption. And why is that? Oh, that's right. Because they're trying to build a team around Joel Embiid. That's why there's been disruption. Stupid, man. Makes no sense. Why? Who cares? Who cares if there's been upheaval, disruption? Doesn't matter. Go play. Just go win. Go win, man. That's NBA talk for now, man. Moving on, college football. We're not going to spend too much time on it. We've obviously talked about it, talked about it on Monday with the rankings, with the different teams, wherever this and that. On Monday, I don't think we spent a ton of time, if any at all, talking about this Michigan sign-stealing situation. But 
we're going to spend some time talking about it today because it is important to address. And the reason I felt like I had to talk about it and wanted to talk about it is because I was able, I had some thoughts earlier today and made some side-by-side comparisons. And I thought it was pretty applicable and important, right? So for those of you who don't know, Michigan, the University of Michigan football program is under heavy fire right now. They've got like NCAA investigations going on. They've got Big Ten investigations going on. All these different reports and information leaks are coming out about the University of Michigan football team and their attempt to steal opposing teams' play calls and signals. Now, stealing play calls and stealing signals called by opposing teams for offensive plays well, and defensive plays, but for plays in general, play, play sign stealing, play calls, you know, signals, all the different stuff that coaches and teams do on the sideline to convey the play or the coverage to their team on the field. The reason this is a story at all is because in college, technically it is illegal to like fully designate somebody on your staff, on your program to steal opposing teams signals. Now I'm not sure. I don't think that applies to in game situations, right? Because as you're in game, if you're on defense and the opposing team quarterback comes up the line of scrimmage, has a pass play called, And every time he checks to a run, he says, bingo, bingo, bingo. And then he runs the ball. That's on him. Everyone knows that the referee like that's all because he's saying bingo. And then they run, run the ball off tackle. Like that's not, you know, that's fair. I think everyone would agree to, to during the game. What Michigan did and how they violated the rules, at least according to these investigations is that they were sending employees of the Michigan football program to other games, not involving Michigan football. And would buy tickets to these games, would send guys to these games with binoculars, with, uh, you know, access, player, different, you know, scout sort of access. Because when scouts go to games or, or people in the, in the world of, of football, like not just casual fans, they have a little bit more access. But either way, they would send full-time appointed staff members to opposing team, Like an Ohio, a Michigan guy would be at the Ohio State. Penn State game. And he his entire duty while at that game was to sit there with binoculars and watch the Ohio State sideline. Right? And they'd see the Ohio State play card, those big ones they hold up over their head, and they'd see the sign that has Twitter and Spotify and Elon Musk and LeBron. And then they'd run off tackle or they'd line up three wide run off the left side. So he'd write that down. And then a quarter later, that same play card comes up and they run the same play. Now that Michigan guy has that sign, knows what the play is going to be. So then when they play that opponent, when Michigan plays Ohio State and they see that play card, he's going to go, oh, that's a run. So there you go. That's the general gist of it. And that process in itself, in it of itself, sending a, a staff member to a game not involving your team to steal signs that is against the rules according to college football according to the NCAA in the NFL fully legal fully doable now before we get into the comparison okay before we get into uh all the different things 
first of all, sign stealing as a concept in the year 2023 should not even exist. We have way too much technology available at our disposal to just avoid the even potential of somebody stealing someone else's signs. Right? In baseball, the Astros stole everybody's signs because the catchers were using a barbaric finger sign signal system. And now we have the uh, Pitchcom electronic device that's in pitchers' hats and it's a keypad. Super easy. In the NFL, play stealing was a humongous issue in the 80s and 90s. What do they do? They put the earpiece. In the quarterback's helmet, sign stealing eliminated. In college football, apparently we're just we just can't can't put the quarterback signal in the helmet. Uh, we can't put a buzzer. We can't put an electronic wrist piece. Anything can't include any any technology. We have to play football like it's 1953. How and why? Put the earpiece in the quarterback's helmet. Oh, but I play football at uh at Florida International Tech University. We don't have the funding. Okay, then you guys don't get it. And your whole conference doesn't get it. It's a conference-by-conference basis, competitive advantage. When that garbage-ass team comes up to play Alabama or comes up to play Georgia, Alabama and or Georgia have to provide that technology for the other team to make it a level playing field. Just like when those garbage teams come to play Georgia and Alabama and Georgia has uh, air conditioners on their sideline. They have to provide that for the other team. It's the same exact concept, and it's not hard to do. And it's not expensive either. Whether it's, again, a little Fitbit or it's an earpiece in the helmet, it's not hard. It's just not that hard. So this whole, the fact that sign stealing is still just like going on as a thing, and these teams have to go through these elaborate schemes in order to steal someone else's signs, shouldn't even be a thing in 2023. That's number one. Number two. I think if you're getting your sign stolen in the year 2023, you should be penalized as well. How stupid do you have to be to get your signs, your play calls stolen by opposing teams, whether it's the actual opponent across the field or it's somebody else in the stands and your signs are so basic and rudimentary that they can be stolen to begin with. How stupid you have to be. Again, the comparison I make to the Astros. They were stealing signs. It wasn't public knowledge yet, but in 2019, a lot of people across the league had at least an idea that something was going on with the Houston Astros. Word had spread, opposing teams had talked to each other, and the World Series comes around, the Washington Nationals play the Astros, and the Nationals pitching staff gets together as a collective group before the World Series and says, we don't know what's going on, but we don't want to take any risk. So when we have nobody on base, we're going to throw down 37 finger signs because we don't want them stealing our signs. We're going to come up with a complicated, elaborate system that allows us to know what we're doing, but doesn't give the other team any insights or any clues. Make it a little more difficult. We're adults. We're professionals. Easy enough. And boom, the Astros lost all four home games of that postseason, or that World Series, rather. The Astros lost literally every home game against the Nationals in the World Series. 
So if you're an opposing team of the Michigan Wolverines or you're in the same conference or whatever, here's an idea. Make your signs harder to understand so that they can't get stolen. So that when you play Michigan and you get destroyed, you don't go, oh, well, we got beat because they knew what was coming. That's number two. Number three is a point that I don't think is as relevant potentially with baseball because the point being in baseball when you're a hitter and you know what pitch is coming, it makes things significantly easier for you, right? In football, even if you have a really good idea of what play is coming, which a lot of times you could potentially just know from preparation and formation and cadences from the quarterback to begin with. Well, let's just say you're Michigan, you're a defensive player, you've stolen all of Ohio State signs, and then they give out one of the signs that you've stolen. And you know it is a wide receiver screen. You still have to make a play and physically use your body. Like, you have to make the tackle. Yes, the probably split second of anticipation or knowing what's coming may give you an advantage. But if you're getting physically dominated, that's a different story than, oh, they knew it was coming. And to me, now it's going to be used as a cop-out and excuse, and I think that's super lame too. I equate that more so instead of the Astros sign-stealing to steroids in baseball. Yeah, you know what? It helps you hit the ball further, but you still have to do it. still have to go out and execute. So all that being said, do I think Michigan? Oh, oh, this is the last part too. The last comparison between Michigan and the Astros, and this is the main point, is that both teams were doing it. Both teams have had long runs of sustained success. When in previous years, maybe they weren't as competitive, still decent. And the biggest comparison, the biggest similarity between the two is that they were just the ones stupid enough to be ignorant about it. And be obnoxious. Because I have a newsflash for those of you who are new to sports or you are so oblivious to what goes on day in and day out in high-level competitive sports. But I've got, it, I've got information for you. You ready? Everybody is trying to gain an advantage at all times. I can say with 1,000% certainty the Houston Astros were not the only team using high-level technology to steal signs in Major League Baseball at the time that they did and got caught. How did they get caught? They were being obnoxious about it. I can also say Michigan is not the only team sending guys to opposing teams' games to try to steal signs. Why do they get in trouble? Because they're being obnoxious about it. Because they use Venmo as a method of payment for these guys going to these games to buy plane tickets, to do whatever. They used regular-ass email accounts to communicate these messages between each other. They had big mouths and ran off to their buddy's house when they're having a few beers and like, yeah, no, Harbaugh's sending me to uh, blah, blah, blah this weekend. Go steal their signs. Like, shut up! Do I think it's morally wrong what both teams are doing? Of course. It's not ideal to steal somebody else's signs. 
but everybody's trying to find an advantage. Everybody's trying to gain an edge. So if you're if you're stupid enough to think Michigan's the only one doing that or the Astros were the only ones doing it in baseball, you don't know Jack. These, these were just the teams that were stupid about it and got caught. It is what it is. And then, unfortunately, when these teams get caught, they got to be made an example of, and they, that may end up being this, the case with Michigan. That's what happened with the Astros. And then you move on. And more likely than not, most of these organizations and most of these governing bodies want to get this thing over with and done, get it in the past, and move on, move forward. So what they're going to have to probably do with Michigan, it's what MLB did with the Astros. And now we're here. So that's all I want to talk about with college football. I think it's a stupid thing they're spending so much time about. Also, just do the investigation and then make a decision and then let's move forward. But to drag this thing on and make it a huge deal, it's just stupid. Stupid. <sighs> okay. Last thing here, MLB playoffs, World Series. World Series is here. Starts tomorrow. MLB playoffs have been the wild card round was not great. It was all sweeps. Division series round was not great. And then you got to the championship series rounds. D-backs, Phillies, and then the uh, Rangers and Astros. Both go to game seven. Both are electric. And I think both uh, the underdog potentially came out on top. Yeah, they did. They did. The World Series in 2023 is going to feature the D-backs and the Rangers, two teams that aren't in big, big cities, big fan bases, aren't both known as historically one of the greatest franchises, right? It's not the Phillies, it's not the Yankees, it's not the Dodgers, it's not the Red Sox, it's not all these teams. And for once, something is happening in baseball that is good for the true baseball fan. All the different rule changes, all the different things that have been implemented into the game of baseball over the past few years have all been put into place by the commissioner and by the league to tailor towards the casual outside baseball fan to bring more baseball fans in. And that was done successfully this season. Attendance was up. Viewership was up. Revenue was at an all-time high. Everything they were trying to do, they got done. But what I don't think they anticipated happening was producing a World Series with two teams that are a direct product of the new rule changes. Okay, overall in, in the Major League Baseball playoffs, here's how you win. Excellent pitching. Not just good hitting, but extremely well-timed hitting. Great defense, and lastly, the ability to come from behind with a multi-run deficit Move guys over when you need to, steal bags and bunt. Play fundamentally sound offensive baseball. Guess what the Diamondbacks do? They have the ability to come from behind, as they did multiple times against the Phillies. They move guys over, they steal bags with incredible speed, they play great defense, 
They've bunted a few times. They've had extremely well-timed hitting. And their pitching has been exceptional. Guess what the Rangers have done? Proved the ability to come from behind. Have played great defense. Lacked it and found it in the timely hitting category. And their starting pitching has been unfathomable at the top of the rotation. And that's been enough for them to get to the World Series. But teams that have great defense with the shift limitations, the shift restrictions, teams that can steal bases, teams that can make contact, put the ball in play and move guys over, have unselfish at bats, and, and one step further, literally bunt guys in sacrifice situations, bunt guys over, those teams will ultimately prevail in the postseason. The pace of play has significantly increased. And with that, so has the need for urgency, the need for youth, and the need for speed. What do the Diamondbacks have? Urgency, youth, and speed. What do the Rangers have? Urgency, youth, and maybe not a ton of speed, but there has been a clear and concerted effort by the entire Rangers offense, the offensive approach, whatever it was coming into the year. Get in the box. Get ready to go. We got a clock on you guys now. Be ready. Get your foot down. Hit the fastball. Those guys, at the beginning of the year, the Rangers were the best offensive team by a million miles. Everybody was tearing the cover off the ball. They came back down to earth just a little bit. Other teams started to make, you know, a little bit of adjustment against the Rangers lineup and they cooled off. But as we've gotten to the postseason, we've seen the same Rangers offensive team. Point being, this World Series is a direct product of the new wave of baseball and the ability to have sustained success. You got to have youth. You got to have a little bit of veteran leadership. You got to get in the box, be ready to go, have short, quick, compact, better approaches and better swings, the ability to move guys over, the ability to make contact. And then you got to have excellent starting pitching at the top. You got to have three or four reliable guys at the back end of your bullpen, and you're going to have a lot of success. And where teams started to falter in those situations, were like the Phillies this season. The Phillies fell victim to the big moment. And I think there's a difference between playing well in the playoffs in front of your home team and falling victim to the pressure. Because the Phillies, when it was a tie, when it was a 0-0 game in the first inning, or God forbid the Phillies just jumped out on top, Scored three in the first on two so two home runs, and it was all home run derby at Citizens Bank, and it was dancing on, and it was great. I was a big fan of it. I thought it was awesome, and that's when the Phillies were at their best. Because then Zach Wheeler went out on the mound, Aaron Nola went out on the mound, Ranger Suarez, and they just rolled over whoever they played. They got up two nothing in the first. Final score eight to one. Just rolled them because they would swing for the fences. They connect on a few on a few uh, big swings, and they'd hit balls out of the yard, and then they'd coast from there. That's kind of how they found their success in the early parts of this year's postseason and a lot of last year's postseason. They would jump on a team, they'd score a few, and they wouldn't look back. 
But this year, when it came down to crunch time, when it came down to we need to move a guy over, we got a guy in scoring position, we need to drive him in with a base knock. We got to shorten up here. We can't punch out. We're down by a run. We're tied late. Phillies guys just didn't come through. And that's the streakiness of what baseball could be. But to tell you that Harper, Trey Turner, Castellanos, and Schwarber in the last two home games were something like one for 24 collectively, all that tells me, it's not that those guys are bad. It's not that those guys were selfish. It's just the pressure of the moment got to them, and they, as a team, and with their identity, didn't have shortening up and putting a ball in play to move a guy over. They didn't have that in their back pocket. That's all the Diamondbacks do. That's all they do. All their young guys, Marte, Corbin Carroll, Christian Walker, Gabriel Moreno. It's like single, double, single, maybe mix in a home run, but also mixed in there is a stolen base, is a ground ball to second to move a guy over, is a sack fly. That is what wins you playoff games. And with the Phillies, it was live by the long ball, die by the long ball. Now, it had enough sustained success against the Braves and in the early parts of the series against the D-backs, but level water always finds its level. And it found its level with the Diamondbacks' style of play, the ability to come back, manufacture runs, grind, battle at bats, and ultimately find themselves in the World Series. Same can be said with the Rangers. Watch how the Rangers went about their at-bats in the last couple games in the uh, American League Championship Series. Nobody just had give up at-bats. Nobody had monster, giant, spin-in-the-ground swings with two strikes. Short, compact, Seager, Simeon, Adolis Garcia, Evan Carter, Josh Young. Battle, grind, stick your head in, foul pitches off. Be in the box, be ready to go. That's what's going to win you games in this new style of baseball. That's why the Astro, or that's why, that's why the Rangers and the D-backs are both in the World Series. You also see some guys, man, and some players. They just elevate their game. When it comes time for postseason baseball, they elevate their game. You've seen it from some starting pitchers already. And I, I heard it talked about a little bit earlier today and earlier this week, right? Got like Ranger Suarez dominated after having an okay, pretty solid year as a starting pitcher. Comes in the playoffs, unhittable. Nathan Ovaldi, same thing. Brandon Fad. For the Diamondbacks, same deal. If I was a general manager or I was in charge of assembling a baseball team in 2023 and moving forward, I would get four number two starters, four number three starters in my rotation. Mix in an ace if you can. I would get reliable injury-free back-end bullpen guys, three or four. I would get one guy who hits homers. That's his main deal in the lineup. I'd get one guy who's a good all-around hitter, hits homers, and drives balls in the gap. And can run a little bit. And then the rest of my team, 
I would try my best to emphasize speed, contact, low strikeout rate, and the ability to move guys over. Seriously. But in today's game, in today's day and age, you can't have five guys that all hit home runs that can't run very well in your lineup. However cool that may look when you're looking at it on paper, that doesn't win games anymore. It doesn't win games. Athleticism is back in baseball, very clearly. But teams that live and die by the long ball will ultimately fall out of contention, whether that's in the regular season or late in the postseason. Ask the Braves and ask the Phillies. Two teams, the Braves, who lived by the long ball in the regular season got to the playoffs, weren't able to hit those same level of home runs because pitching in the postseason is elevated to the next level. And home runs become more rare and they come at much more of a premium. Braves eliminated. Phillies living and dying by the long ball. Schwarber and Harper and Bohm and Rio Muto and all these guys. Homers, 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 homers. All super fun, all awesome. Love it. It's electric. Citizens Bank's going crazy. Then those home runs don't come. Or you fall behind a little bit. Solo homers don't help. Home runs become more of a premium. You face better pitching. You face better pitching. You face better pitching. All of a sudden, you're not in the playoffs anymore. D-backs cannot hit homers like the Phillies can. And yet, the D-backs beat them. That's the state of the game in 2023. That's the state of baseball. For those of you who are wondering how and why both of these teams ended up in the playoffs, that's the exact reason. Pitching is elevated. Home runs become more of a premium. And athleticism and unselfish baseball is rewarded in the postseason significantly. Not saying the Phillies were a selfish team because they weren't. Not saying the Astros were selfish because they weren't. But home runs become more rare. And certain styles of play, certain execution is more rewarded than others in the postseason. And that's why the D-backs and Rangers are playing in the World Series. That's it. Either way, guys, hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 69. Wanted to go off a little bit because I felt like I had a lot to get off the chest. Right? Talked a while about sports. We got basketball. We got college football. We got baseball. We know ball we know ball that's why we talk about ball and we had to get it out there little thursday action thursday night football bills bucks i got josh allen over 263 and a half passing yards that is my play of the day we are on a four game losing streak probably going to be five tonight because of course as we bet on josh allen he will probably forget how to play football so either way hopefully you guys enjoyed Episode 69 of the We Know Ball podcast. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify, greatly appreciate it. Be sure to check us out on social media. At Ryan Knows Ball is my Twitter handle. At We Know Ball Sports. Instagram and TikTok. Appreciate you guys tuning in as usual. We will catch you guys next week. Episode 70 of the We Know Ball podcast. Again, my name is Ryan. Adios.